So at the very beginning of this season of Lent, we are confronted with um, the mystery of sin and the, the deep need that we all have of repentance. So the kind of the command of, of the church and the command of God as we begin Lent is to repent. Uh, so there's something about the way that we're living that, that needs to change. And not just as a yeah, manner of self-improvement or something I want to grow in, although it could include that, but no, this is, a, this is a matter of life and death, folks. Like, this is real. This is salvation that we're talking about. So, Lent is a time to confront this question of, uh, yeah, how am I doing? Where am I at? How am I with God? And what are the places where sin reigns in my life, where I need God? I need, I need salvation. Um, if you haven't heard yet, sin is bad. Okay? It's really bad. And it leads to death. Not as an arbitrary punishment from God, as if, like, if you break one of his random rules, then he inflicts death upon you. No, but sin is a departure from the designs of God, from the way that things are supposed to work. And when we depart from the will of God and his designs for a good earth and a good world, uh, things happen. Very simply, you know that there's rules of, like, how to drive, right? If you happen to just zoom up to Burwell or down to Grand Island and you just decided, today I'm just going to drive on the left side of the road the whole way. Like you could, even as I describe it, something in you is like, Ugh, right? Like, don't do that. Because why? Like people might die. They might actually die. And, and frankly, you know, the rules of the road, we just all agreed on those. That's why, that's why those are set and that's why they're important because we're trying to keep each other safe. The rules of God, the commands of God, are written into the fibers of creation. We could switch which side of the road we drive on. There's, there's countries that, that do that otherwise, and that's okay. But when we depart from what God desires, because he only desires good, then death enters in. It actually leads to death. St. Paul says, the wages of sin is death, which means if you put in a whole day hard working at sinning, what are the wages you get paid at the end of the day? Death. Like, there's nothing good that comes from it. So please hear, um, God only wants good things for you. God's will for you is goodness, is life. So when we depart from his goodness, his desire, his plan, that's written into every atom of our bodies and into the fibers of the world, it does lead to death. In the beginning, we have this story in, in the, from the um, book of Genesis on how sin entered the world. What's the first sin? Pop quiz. This is in your catechism. The first sin is not taking the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The catechism tells us that the first sin of our first parents is allowing their trust in God to die in their hearts. Before they took the fruit, they stopped trusting God and stopped trusting his plan. The serpent comes and tries to, to confuse them and to try to erode uh, their confidence in God and his goodness. And he plants this seed of like, you know what, maybe what God tells you to do isn't what's best for you. He also makes this promise, and as we know, we repeat every Easter and every baptism, all his promises are empty, right? Do you reject Satan and all his empty promises? The promises are empty. He says, if you do it, if you go your own way, if you disobey God, if you break the rule, you'll be like God. And you'll know what's, what's right and what's wrong. So there's this promise of like, you could be like God by disobeying his will. Now here's something that, 
that is just the tragedy of, of the temptation is that God wants them to be like him. God made us in, in his image and likeness, and he desires to form us more and more into his likeness, to be more and more like him. So what he wants is for us to be like him. The temptation, though, is try to try to be like God without God. I'll say that again. The temptation is to try to be like God without God. In some way, sin is always our attempt to put ourselves or something else in the place of God. To not let God be God. Sin is always a way in which we try to place ourselves or something in God's place. And when God's place is not filled by God, things fall apart. So, they get confused, and they don't trust God, and then they grasp. God wanted to give them everything they needed and more to make them totally fulfilled, to fulfill the deepest longing of their hearts. But they stop trusting him, and so they say, no, 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 I have to get it myself. I can't trust God I can't follow his rules. I can't trust that this goodness is going to come to me. I have to grasp it. And here we are today. Amen? Yeah, so sin is this grasping at what God actually wants to give us. It's a distrust that God actually can fulfill the deepest desires of my heart and my mind. It's a distrust that God totally understands me. And so his commands feel like, ah, I don't know if they apply in this situation. It's a distrust of the goodness of God and the goodness of creation, and even you're in my own goodness. And again, that distrust leads to self-reliance and grasping, a departure from God's will, which leads to death. Um, this relationship, this closeness with God was lost through the sin of our first parents. That's what St. Paul is talking about. Through, through one man, sin entered the world, and through sin, death. Because this, this closeness and this confidence and this relationship with God was lost, death was sown in the world. And because our first parents didn't have a closeness with God in this relationship, they didn't have it to pass on to their children and their children and their children, and so death just swept, sweeps across all things. So because of, because of the sin of one, all have sinned now. But then St. Paul says, but another came. And because of his faithfulness, all of us can be saved. So what's Jesus doing throughout his life? And in a specific way, we see it really clearly today in the gospel reading in the desert. What's Jesus doing is he's being faithful. He's being a faithful human being. He's totally God in every way possible, but he became one of us so that on our behalf, he could be faithful to God. He could be obedient to save us by his own obedience. So Jesus in the desert is being a good son. It's like the heart of Jesus in the desert, in the midst of these temptations, just is totally, totally fixed on the Father and it is confidence on the Father. He just knows that the, the Father is faithful to him. So that's kind of the setup of, of our gospel reading. Jesus, right after the baptism, is led into the, the desert by the Spirit to be tempted. So Jesus goes out to not a victim here. In some ways, Jesus is reenacting the 40 years that Israel spent in the desert, this time of trial and temptation, which ultimately they failed. Jesus is living his own time in the desert, but unlike them, he is going to be faithful to God and obedient to God. That word obedient, we tend not to like, right? Something about obedient feels uh, groveling or like subservient or slave master. Like, do you want to obey someone? We're like, no, right? Yeah, but what does it mean to obey God? 
It's not being afraid of him. It's not being afraid of punishment. It's just this confidence of like, oh, God just wants good things. He just wants life and goodness. And so if he tells me like, hey, you should do this, I want to do it because he wants everything for me and he loves me infinitely. So obedience apart from love would be, yeah, something terrible. But to obey God is to obey love itself. And Jesus, the, the faithful son, just wants to do whatever his dad wants. He's just totally faithful to his dad and he has an unshakable confidence that his dad's going to take care of him. And we see that here. So he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. That's a little bit of a no-duh moment in the Gospel of Matthew. He's been, he hasn't eaten for 40 days, and now he's hungry. Yeah, 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 we see that. So in that moment, and in the moment of his weakness, the tempter comes. The tempter, he's called the tempter, the devil, or Satan. He's bad, and he hates you, and he hates Jesus, and he wants death, because he has chosen death. So every promise that he makes is laced with death. That's the only thing he has to give. So the tempter comes and he says, if you are the son of God, each time he tempts, he says, if you are the son of God, he calls into question Jesus' identity. And he seems to imply, this is what the son of God would do. If you're the son of God, then you have magic powers. So if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he's trying to be like, prove it. Prove that you can do it. Prove that you're strong. But what does it mean to be the son of God? It doesn't mean to have magical powers. It means to trust your Father. So you and I, we're beloved sons and daughters of God. Amen? That doesn't mean we have superpowers now. Our only superpower is the fact that we have a dad. It's a pretty good superpower. Remember being a kid on the playground? And you're like, my dad could totally beat you up, right? <laughs> you could beat up your dad and your dad's dad, which is not that impressive because he's probably old. Anyway, uh, our superpower in being sons and daughters of God is that God's our dad. So the tempter says... Turn these stones into loaves of bread. And Jesus basically says, like, no, the Father's going to feed me when I need fed. Like, I don't have to take that into my own hands. I'm going to remain a son. And a son trusts that his Father's good, and he'll take care of him. So he says, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. He's like, yeah, my, my Father's word, his will, it, it'll take care of me. That's, that's, that's my life. That's my well-being. Then the te devil takes Jesus up to Jerusalem, to the holy city. He actually physically takes him. He has power, a real power. He takes him up and puts him up on the top of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Because it is written, this is in the Psalms, he will command his angels and with their hands they will support you. So his angels will save you. So throw yourself down. And Jesus says, no. No, to be a son of God doesn't mean to not trust that he's going to take care of me and have, make him have to prove it. To be a son is just to have this confidence of like, if I need help, he'll help me. But I don't have to get that from him. I don't have to like orchestrate some crisis so that God steps in. And he's like, no. Like the father will save me, but I don't, have to, I don't have to do that. I just trust. I don't need proof. I don't need a manifestation of that. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is just a faithful son. Third, it says the devil takes him up to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, I will give you all of these if you worship me. Well, it seems like, yeah, there's a way in which the devil has a power and an authority in the world, an authority to give. Um, and the devil wants to be worshipped because he wants to be God. He wants to take the place of God. So he's like, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. And the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of a son who just loves and adores his father, is like, 
get out of here. He just responds, get away, Satan. And it's forceful. I mean, the, the Greek is two words. It's just, get out of here. He's like, I'm done with you. And Satan has to go. But first he says, the Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. So the devil leaves him. And then what happens? This is important. As soon as the devil leaves, it says, behold, angels came and ministered to him. That's really important. Why? Because it's a sign of the father's fidelity to his son. Where did the angels come from? They came from God the Father to his son, who was hungry. Like he needed bread, but he wasn't going to try to do magic bread out of stones and disobey God's law. No, he's just going to wait. He was just going to wait till the Father fed him. And you can be sure that the angels who are ministering to him gave him food. What else? Yeah, the, the, the devil said, like, if you cast yourself down from the temple, the angels will catch you. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But nonetheless, God did send his angels to take care of him, to protect him. So God's promises are kept, but, but by just waiting and being obedient and faithful. And then whereas the devil asked to be worshipped by Jesus, what did the angels do? Well, angels do what they always do, and that's worship God. So they came and they worshipped Jesus, who is the true king of the world. Like there's a peace and a goodness and a faithfulness. Everything's rightly ordered. Jesus is obedient. He only does the Father's will, and the Father's faithful to him. This is really important. I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. I'll talk about it a lot, hopefully during Lent. Jesus is alive in you now. And his obedience and faithfulness is alive in you. And so Jesus alone and in him alone do we have the courage and the strength to resist sin and temptation. Because Jesus is always faithful and he just trusts the Father. And Jesus is in you and he's begging us. He's like, just trust him, please. Like, just trust the Father. He's going to take care of you. Right? Our sin is always this feeling of like, God's not going to take care of me, so I have to take it into my own hands. Why do we steal? Because somebody's not going to provide what I need. Right? Why do we, we seek after pleasures that we know aren't good for us? It's because we don't trust that like joy is coming. Why do we try to manipulate people into liking us? Because we don't trust that, let, that love is going to come and that we're just good. But Jesus is faithful and he says, no, 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 love is coming. The Father's coming. We'll, let's just trust him. The antidote to sin, the antidote to temptation, even temptation in your addictions, is to wait for the love of God to come. And he's coming. How could he not come? He loves you so much. He just loves you more than the world. I mean, he, he's just so good. So we can trust him. The cry of the heart of Jesus in us is, please, please just trust him. He's a good dad. He's faithful to his kids. So Jesus is alive in you. He's always with you. And let's ask him. We'll take a little time to pray. Let's ask him, like, Jesus, please just, like, be, be more in me, more alive, more active, and give me your own trust in the Father. Like, I, I want to trust that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's going to take care of me. But I, I need your help. I can't do it. So Jesus, be alive in me. Save me from sin. Turn me back to the Father and give me your own trust in the Father's love.